0: Thank you for listening to Tara Lynn's A Geek Saga Podcast. This episode features audio from a discussion panel that was recorded at DragonCon 2021.
1: So this is the A Song of Ice and Fire 25th anniversary panel because 25 years ago, uh, the first book in the A Song of Ice and Fire series, A Game of Thrones, was published um, I think it's, the publisher is Battenum Books, or is it Spec? I can't remember, it's not important. I can't remember the original yeah. I don't think they know they're publishing them anymore either, so, <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, if you go so long without a book, they kind of forget about you, I bet. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to make some jokes about that later. All right, uh, so yeah, so we're going to talk about um, 25 years of the A Song of Ice and Fire series, and uh, we're going to be talking mostly about the books, but I definitely think the show will come into it, uh, just because it's really hard to separate the two at this point. Uh, so yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about both. And so my first question for my panelists, oh wait a sec, I should introduce everybody first. Ha <laughs> <laughs>
2: ha, <Technicalities. laughs> okay. it's,
1: Yeah, it's Dragon Con. All right, so um, I'm Jennifer, I am the director of the High Fantasy track here. And, um, you know, all the stuff that goes on in this room is stuff that me and my uh, team of volunteers have put together. So I appreciate any and all feedback you guys give us via the app. And then to my left we have...
0: Hey, uh, my name is Tara. You can find me across the lab at A Geek Saga. I am the founder and organizer of the first ever Song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones convention in the U.S., which is uh, Ice and Firecom. And I also do a couple webcast podcasts. One is called The Geek Saga Podcast, and the other one is Sagas and Sass, which is a genre like lit podcast for the better, you know. <laughs> Words are hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's <laughs> early.
2: Hi, I'm Nami, this is my husky voice. I go by Nami Sparrow on most internet things. Uh, Instagram and now YouTube are the things I do the most, but I suppose you could follow me on Twitter if you just want really, really cursed content. Um, I am only barely older than the book series, but I do enjoy them. Um, I am also on the Sagas and Cassass webcast, and I also uh, do lots of cosplays of Dorne. Only Dorne cosplays because I like being able to breathe at conventions. Okay.
1: So the first question I want to ask you guys is how did you first encounter the A Song of Ice and Fire series? So like my personal history with it is um, I come out of the Wheel of Time fandom. Um, That was my first fandom, like first internet fandom. Uh, and as I was getting into message board culture back in the late 90s, um, you know, you talk a lot about the Wheel of Time books. But the Wheel of Time books at the time were coming out, like, once every two or three years. And so you had to read something else in between. And so everybody was talking about, like, this new uh, series that had just been published. Like, the first book had just, just come out, and it was pretty awesome. And it had a uh, cover blurb on it from Robert Jordan. Uh, and the cover blurb for the first Song of Ice and Fire book, Game of Thrones, uh, right there on the front, it says just the kind of fantasy that I like, Robert Jordan. And so of course, all of the Robert Jordan fans are like, all right, this looks good. And so we started reading it. And uh, there's always been like a sort of a friendly rivalry between the Game of Thrones and Wheel of Time fans. Uh, And so, uh, but you know, there's also a lot of us who really enjoy both. Uh, And so that's how I first encountered it. It was the thing that I read in between Wheel of Time books. (laughs)
0: That's so That's so funny, because um, I had, like, zero idea that there was any sort of rivalry between these two <laughs> fandoms. Um, I
1: think it mostly exists in the heads of Wheel of Time fans. <laughs> um,
2: th- those are my favorite li- rivalries, because I did undergrad at NYU, and we have an imagined rivalry with Columbia. Like, there are arch-nemeses, but... Um, do they know? <laughs> I don't know that they do.
0: Or care, yeah.
2: No, <laughs> definitely, probably they don't.
0: Um, So I... I had, like, friends suggest the series to me, like, for years and years. I think the first time somebody suggested it to me was, like, 2006. Uh, And then we, like, I heard that the show was coming out. Like, another friend was like, well, they're making a show of it now. And I just had this, like, okay, well, if they're making a show, I'm going to read the books first. So, I I don't know, 2000, I think 2010 is when I started reading the books. Yeah, I think Um, that's when the show came out. It, well, the show came out in 2011. Yeah, but like it was like I was reading them preemptively, so I the only book I ever had to wait for prior to now was *Dance of Dragons*, and I had to <laughs> wait for it for like six months or something. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, my! Yeah, yeah, I sweet know. *Summer Child*. But um, <laughs> <laughs>
2: so uh, uh, how's how's the wait treating you now?
0: <laughs> Listen. I am closer to forty than I am to thirty, and when I started reading these books, I was still in my twenties. So Oof. that's all I'm gonna say.
2: Um, so for me, I I actually like I bought the first book like when I was like really little, like concerningly little. I was one of those like little kids who would go into Barnes and Nobles and just browse through the fantasy section because I'd read all of like the kids fantasy, and I was like, give more books. And my parents were just like, "Ah, eh, she's reading, so like, all of this content is probably fine. It wasn't. <laughs> um, so this was about the time when, when, so I was about, like, I would say like 10 or 12, and I got super into the Dragonlance books, and I was sort of like digging through the shelves of the fantasy section looking for something else, and it was like, ooh, Game of Thrones, and I was like, all right, I'll buy this. And then I bought it, and then it sat on my shelf collecting dust until, like, I want to say, like, maybe a year or two after the show started, because I did not start watching the show immediately. And I was like, and everybody was like, watch Game of Thrones, you're going to like it. And I'm like, meh. And then, and then, I watched the first episode of Game of Thrones, and I'm like, "Mm, you want to read the books first. So then I read all the books. And then I watched the rest of the show and I was like, why did I watch the show? <laughs> Actually, no, this was season one days. So it was still correct. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, season one was like, oh my God. Like, And I remember um, the first episode of Game of Thrones, the TV show, um, aired during Jordan Con weekend. And if you are not familiar with Jordan Con, Jordan Con is a Wheel of Time convention that is also here in Atlanta. And I happen to be the chair of that as well. Um, and I'm not plugging it because at this moment I'm representing Dragon Con, not Jordan Con. I'm just telling a story. Uh, so <laughs> uh, and so we uh, wanted to throw a watch party for uh, Game of Thrones at Jordan Con, obviously. And so um, we like put it on our website or something like that. And then like I got a voicemail from a very nice lawyer at HBO. Uh, And he said, hey, call me. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what this could be. Uh, And so I called him and he's like, okay, so like what are your intentions towards throwing a, a watch party? I'm like, well, and he's like, okay. And like just laid out for me, like you can't throw a watch party. Like, well, that is not allowed under like whatever, like I can't remember how the copyright on this or the streaming rights work or whatever, but you are actually not allowed to throw a watch party for something and charge money for it which if, if it was a convention event, it would have been me charging money to go see it uh, and so, if it was just us in a hotel room who happened to all be watching Game of Thrones that <laughs> night that's allowed, and so that's what we ended up doing is like oh we're not having an official event we're just watching we're just some friends watching Game of Thrones after a convention ends. This was our dead dog party uh and like that was really fun watching it with a whole bunch of people who were really excited about seeing um a good fantasy story being. Um, adapted for the screen like that you're not really a fan until you get a cease and desist (laughs) (laughs) oh
0: I've been there but that was for a different convention
1: (laughs) all right so what made you stick with these books like you two are really um, excited about the Game of Thrones series and you guys have really dived into the fandom Um, talk to me about like how you got connected with this and then like what makes you stick with this
0: uh, to be honest, I hadn't read a lot of fantasy at that point in my life. I was actually way more of a, like, I'd, I'd just been more in, like, the sci-fi realm for a long time, and, um, like, I read the fantasy stuff when I was younger, like, when I was a kid, and then I kind of took a very long break from it, uh, minus, like, rereading, you know, Tolkien. Um, so I... I to be honest like I don't know that I can say what may is something anything specific that made me stick with the with the series like with the first book um to be honest it was it was a little bit of a slow starter for me um like I remember getting maybe Halfway through it, or something like that, and they're like, eh, "I mean, I'm going to finish this because I'm like a completionist, but am I going to actually read the rest of these books? I don't know." It was just very lengthy, and there was a lot of there's a lot of buildup in the first book, um, but then Ned died. Spoiler alert! <laughs> it's been 25 years, and if you're in this panel, I'm just. Guys, if you didn't know that Ned
2: was you might be in the wrong
0: room. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then Ned died, and I was like. What? No way. He didn't actually just die. Come on. And I kept reading because like he it was like an off-page sort of thing. And I was like, he didn't actually die. They wouldn't just kill their main character. But of like, course. This is just some kind of fake out, right? Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. But of course, but of course he was dead, and I was like, oh well, okay. Because I've Unless. I've always been like, I am not a happy ending person. i I have always been the type of person that's like, yeah, give me something different. So the fact that Ned was one of the you know POV characters, the main character, really, for so much of the book, and then he was just dead. I was like, all right, I'm done, I'm good, I want to read all of these, and then, you know, this many years later, I've read them all over and over and over again. I've lost track. It's, been, it's over a dozen times.
2: <laughs> I think I was on, like, my seventh reread, at which point I was like, maybe we'll, maybe we'll hold this off until I get a published date,
0: <laughs> so I
2: guess a reread is never positive. <laughs> uh, but so for me it was also ned stark related but there was a little more trauma involved because my father's name is ned and i was 16 when i was reading these books so i really self-identified with Arya, and i was like oh no my dad is dying and so i also at this point immediately threw the books at my dad and i'm like hey hey there's this cool book series that stars a man named after you and so like he comes back to me like partway through the book and he's like, are you kidding me? Like, I just <laughs> died. And I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> and so, you know, after that, it became like, just like a father-daughter thing. So like, we both read the books together. And then I was like, yay, more things to bond with dad about. Cause like we had Star Wars together and now we have Game of Thrones and it was fun. And then we tried to bully my mom into watching and she did not like the violence. So uh that didn't work. But yeah, I stuck with the book series because like I was always a fantasy person and I was always a fantasy reader, and like my bookshelf, which I unfortunately just had to purge recently, was just a lot of fancy fantasy and then like one sci-fi book, maybe. And so it was sort of like a natural progression to me to also read this. And it was sort of at the time I was reading the Silmarillion for the first time. So this was my break book. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, no, it, was a good, it was a good break. I'm book. sorry,
0: I love Tolkien, but like literally anything is a break book from the Silmarillion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't do it.
2: It's not worth it, but it's also super rivet.
1: All right. So you mentioned Ned Stark. Um, a lot of people describe it as the moment they close the book and threw it at the wall. Like, has anybody else had that feeling? Like, like, I can't. Yeah, I see a hand up there. Like, there's a moment where you're reading through the series, either the first one, third, like one of the books, you're just like, oh, my God, I can't believe this just happened. Yeah.
2: So what was your throw the book at the wall moment? It was Oberyn. So, okay. like, you know, I was super invested in Dorne as a place, and I still am. I was going to wear my Alaria costume, like, today, but then I woke up at 11, and I'm like, maybe we'll just wear clothes, like, at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I was, like, really invested in the Dorne storyline and, like, the moralities of Dorne in the book and, like, their, you know, extreme, like, and, like, specifically Alaria's like, whole stance on, like, you know, I don't want you to fight this war because you're going to die. And then my daughter do- and then our your older daughters will fight this war and then they're going to die. And then my younger daughters will want to avenge them and then they're going to die. And like that whole like that whole thing she had and like that whole um the dynamic of Dorne and being like we don't hurt kids. Like we will not. And of course the show just uh discarded that. <laughs> it's fine, I guess. But so yeah when when <clears throat> over and died. I straight up like shrieked and actually, I just I just sort of shook the book and then I put it down and I like stomped away and then I went back because of course I had to keep reading. But I was mad.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I don't. I didn't have like a one big thing that happened in the books that would make that would have made me throw it at the wall um or did make me throw it at the wall. Uh, I was more, it was more me being mad at myself um, for getting spoiled for the Red Wedding. Uh, Because like about 60 pages before I read the Red Wedding chapters, I was looking up. I just, I wanted to know, I can't, don't ask me what it was. I don't know. All I know is that I wanted to know something about Catelyn Stark. So I Googled and I opened up the wiki page and it was like whatever I wanted to know was like, also listed like in the description right before th- and then it goes into the red wedding thing and I'm like, wait, what? What? <laughs> Daisy Mormons dead. Like all these Mormons are dead. All of everybody is dead. Catelyn Stark and I was like,
2: What the f-?
0: I I stopped yes. myself See, that time.
1: Good. Good. It's not even noon
0: yet. You're good. Uh so I, I yeah that, that that was my more that was more I guess less lessa throw the book the wall moment. I although to be honest, like I really if if I It's not so much to throw the book at the wall because it's not, like, one big thing that happens, but, like, all of Tyrion's travelogues in Dance of Dragons just have me, like, slamming my head against a wall Uh also. (laughs) Uh, Tyrion, like, when I first read the, started reading the books, I was, I really liked Tyrion, and then... The farther I get in, I was like, I don't actually like this guy. He's kind of a jerk. And uh, then, as on um, like subsequent rereads, I like disliked him more and more. But no matter what, the, the first time I read Dance of Dragons, uh, I was just immediately exhausted with his travel logs. Oh my God. Like, like,
1: I understand what Martin was doing. Like, he was doing like kind of a, a riff on a medieval travel log. And like, I I get it. I understand it. I'm sure there's a whole lot of, like, deep symbolism and, like, whatever, but, oh, my God, like, watching him, like, sail down a river and complain about everything. Yep,
0: the complaining, man. Yeah, and yes,
1: yes, Tyrion has a lot to complain about. Like, if he was not in a dark place at that moment, like, that would have been weird, Um, but it is a difficult thing to read and to be immersed in the head of someone who is in that kind of psychological place. And it's it's a very frustrating set of chapters to get through. <laughs> so uh, for me, my my throw the book at the wall moment, um, Ned Stark was definitely like a oh like, yeah, that was like that was a big moment. Um, the red wedding, um, the places where I've gotten frustrated with the story, not not like oh my god, I can't believe that just happened, but like oh my god, I can't believe that just happened. Like what are you doing? Um, it was um, brands like fake out execution and mm. like, yeah like that i was like that's what i was, I was, thinking was like about that too. you are just doing this for the sake of messing with your audience this like this is not you deconstructing a trope this is you just trying to like you know get a thing from us uh and then uh Pool's wedding night um and i'm not going well. to go into description because it is again it's before noon uh but Jen Poole's wedding night um was one of those like okay again you're just doing this for the shock value you're this is not something that's actually important to the character but this is um wow dude like come on so yeah so those are my my frustrated moments with the series do you have moments where you got frustrated with the series
0: oh i mean again Tyrion yeah. um yeah. but yeah no i i i there you know th- th- part of what drew me to Game of Thrones was the let's you know i'm gonna quote quote unquote the realism of it um that that martin didn't you know he he didn't pull any punches like he mm. he he was just like this is this is a bad world to live in it's worse for the peasants, <laughs> but it's bad for the rich people too and um like, I, I liked that about it. Like I said earlier, when, when, you know, when Ned Stark died and that was, I guess, you know, what really got me hooked because I don't want a happy ending. I want, mm-hmm. like, I want that realistic story realistic. I'm I'm keeping using quotes on purpose. Um, but there is a, there's a point in, in, in these books and honestly in, in the show that was, like, one of the things that just got so, so, so frustrating because, like, Sometimes you don't need to show things Uh (laughs) or even tell them. So the, the, I'm not going to, I, it's like, I'm trying to, how do I say, I don't want to say the word, but like, there's just so much like assault in these books and it gets like,
1: it's exhausting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: like I actually just reread game of thrones. Um, I hadn't, I actually hadn't done a reread in like four years after reading them, I think, like, once a year, sometimes twice a year prior to that. Uh, so I hadn't reread them in, like, four, four and a half years. And I just reread Game of Thrones right before Dragon Con. Um Honestly, just, I was like, I need to remember why I enjoyed this series. Mm-hmm. I need to, like, re- really remember. Not just, you know, not, not the show, but, like, I really need to remember why I enjoyed these books in the first place. Um, and I'm, I was rereading the book, and it's like, Game of Thrones is dark, but as I'm reading it I'm thinking I'm really really enjoying myself but I also know that this is like the least dark of the books even with everything awful that happens in it so yeah it, it, it's it's definitely like it, it does get exhausting especially by book five but again like then I'm just getting into Tyrion is exhausting <laughs> um and that's like the biggest reason why I got exhausted with it <laughs> how
2: about you not yeah I think you know for me it was once again you know the assault, and I think when I was initially reading it, I was just like so like hype that I like mm-hmm. spent through it all, and I kind of like I kind of like yeah. blazed past a lot of it, and then like rereads get a little more difficult because I notice it more. And I think what really struck me is like Danny's wedding night in the first book, and I just was like, and like like Tara said, like it's so mild compared to like what we see later, especially the Jane Pool, uh-huh. which I, I I have to skip those pages like I can't. I can't do it, but, like, it's, it was just, for me, it was, like, noticing it more and more every time I reread it, because I also, like, you know, in the middle of all of this, like, Outlander came out, and I tried to watch it, and I was, like, I cannot do this, because it is, um, (laughs) very assaulty, um, and so I was, like, it, it was, like, I was paying more attention to it, and I was, like, oh, no, this is really, really exhausting now. Can somebody make, like, a big cut of the books where you just cut out all those bits and I can reread that, that
1: would be great.
4: <laughs> that sounds
2: lovely. Ooh, I can just put post-its over it in my
1: book. That's right, you could. Uh, okay, so let's let's change to something a little bit more lighthearted. Yes, please. Yes, uh, so favorite moments. Like, what are some of your favorite moments and favorite character
2: scenes? <laughs> Oh man, where do we even start? I there I know there's so many. Okay, okay. So I'm just gonna go back to like book one, like that moment when I knew that Arya was my girl, which was, you know, like she she like like bullies Joffrey and throws his sword away and I'm like, Yes, girl,
0: do it more. He sucks. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, I have I have like so many. Uh I have, there's a lot of little Sansa moments in book one that um, I think I glossed over the first time. I like, Sansa actually didn't become one of my favorite characters until I read the books a second time, which was honestly like immediately after I'd finished them the first time. So, um, but there's a lot of these little Sansa moments in book one that I really just love, where I think a lot of people just are, especially if it's the first time you're reading it, you're rushing through and you don't see like the little kindnesses. That she, you know, the the way she speaks to her friends, the way she acts to just to, you know, people around her that that she doesn't need to be nice to. Um, also, though, at the very end of book one, when Danny comes out of the fire with those dragons, man, that like, is awesome. it's like seeing it on the show was amazing but just just reading it the first time i was like i don't even care about dragons like dragon books have never been a thing with me um like i said earlier i was much more into sci-fi for like a very long period of my life but like man reading that when she comes out of the fire with and those dragon eggs have hatched it was just like
4: whoa this
0: is awesome Mm -hmm. and i'm like i'm like in my 20s like like just like like a little girl you know like I'm reading a horse book for the first time (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: Sansa is one of those characters that um, improves with the reader's maturity Mm -hmm. like 20 year old me really like was definitely team Arya Uh, and then um, 40 year old me is more team Sansa Uh, and I think it's just because I understand Sansa better than I did when I was younger Um, Like and like you know Sansa's, like, so is really awesome because she gets to do, like, the, like, woo girl, like, you know, the the action girl kind of droves. Uh, and that is sort of, like, first wave feminism kind of things. Uh, and so, like, that's definitely, like, what my brain at the time was trained to look for in terms of, like, a ooh, strong female character. She's got a sword. She's going to stab somebody with it. This is awesome. This is feminism. Uh, and then not really understanding um, that Sansa's... Ab- coping mechanisms and the way that she deals with the world is also extremely valid and extremely feminist as well. Uh, And that I don't need to be so judgy about other women and how (laughs) they choose to do things. So like, definitely like as I matured and developed as a feminist, that was, um, I understood and appreciated Sansa so much more.
2: Yeah, you know, I really think that was the lesson that Sansa taught all of us, Mm because I can think of every female Game of Thrones fan that I know who read the books and knee-jerk was like, Arya's the best, and, you know, I did it too. And then, you know, like, I want to say, like, around 20, I was like, okay, wait a second, no, I see why Sansa is good. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's like... Ooh, that was loud. Kind of <laughs> kind of scared myself a little bit there. We're good. Um, but, like, her quiet strength and her ability to survive is just so amazing. Mm-hmm. Because, you know when it comes to real life you can't just punch your problems and sometimes all you can do is endure and the ability to endure is so often undervalued and the ability to survive is not noticed as a important trait it's like it's like either you get out of your either you're not in a bad situation or you need to get out of your bad situation and that's like first wave feminism there's mm-hmm. there was sort of there was an ignorance of the power it takes to just exist and survive even when things are bad well and, and I, also
0: to be kind while you're doing exactly it. an and it's
2: like like sansa's ability to like kind of make it through all of that was like so poignant and i remember like to me the parts that i really loved was her in her like disguised time at the eerie when she's like you know like Tending to Robin and like you know like taking care of him and like dealing with Ooh, Peter and uh, <laughs> and like you know and like how despite all of this and her aunt's betrayal she's still being very kind and it was just oh mm-hmm. it was so good. I love Sansa now. I used, I, I've ceased being teen, on teams with the Stark sisters. I just want Stark sisters in friendship again. I'm, I'm waiting for the sisterly reunion arc because I just had one with my real life sisters. So I'm like, all right, my fantasy sister got to do it now. <laughs>
0: um, I do want to also bring up, because I, I know we're a lot, talking a lot about the first book because of course it's the 25th anniversary of the first book, but another really great moment that happened uh, in, I, I believe it was book four, was when Doran Martell, and I know you, I, I, like, I had to bring this up because Nami also loves the Martells. Uh, when Doran Martell, you know, is talking to Ariane and he's saying, like, you know he's been so she's so mad at him because he doesn't do anything and he doesn't do anything and he's like yeah no I've been doing things and like we are going to revenge like avenge like everything that happened to our family with fire and blood like that moment was just like ooh because Doran has been kind of boring up until now uh like Oberyn was like the fiery one it's again like the the, the two sides of the same coin with the the brothers instead of Mm -hmm. sisters this time but it was like ooh just like that shiver up your back like wow he is a bad
2: I loved, like, the (laughs) moment where Ariane is, like, she's, Arianne is, like, really, like, freaking out at him, at, like, them, because she's, like, you are discarding me as your heir, and you are caring more about your son than you are about me, and you're trying to get his power up, so I'm gonna do my own thing, and then you find out, like, that Doran's been, obviously, like, playing multiple games at the Mm -hmm. same time, so he's got a plan for his son, he's got a plan for Ariane. he's, like, got a plan for everything, and the moment when she's sitting there, and she's, like, oh, you were working. doing the work. Oh, heck. Oopsie.
0: Sorry,
1: <laughs> Dad.
2: My dad.
0: <laughs> moral of the story respect your elders. That's right.
1: There's no other moral in Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <one>. Absolutely none. <laughs> All right, so uh, do you have any characters that you wish uh, you got to see more of in the books? <laughs>
2: All of Dorn, just more Dorn. Okay. Cover me in Dorn, please. Um <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm funny five percent of the time. <laughs> but so, you know, I just I just really want more Arianne. and I also want like more Marcella and Interactions with her and Dorne, and sort of like their push to make her like their backing for queen, mm-hmm. and that I want, I want more of that story. I want more of that storyline because you know the uh, the show was just sort of took that and lit it off And I um
1: yeah, that a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I I've definitely joked around with people like, oh, now I know which plot lines I'm supposed to pay attention to in Game of Thrones because if it didn't make it into the TV show, it's probably not that important. And that made a lot of like Dorn and Arion
2: fans really mad. At it
1: made me. me so so
0: mad. Yeah, so I sorry. Like, I mean the Dorn stuff. That the thing is like it made it into the show some of Dorn, mm-hmm. and what they did with it was just that, like it was so bad. It was just yeah. so. It was so. It was so bad. Um, so I don't know if I would say there was there's necessarily a care a single character I wish I had more of it. It's it's hard because it's like I there's more coming for a lot of the characters. Um, I will say that <clears throat> I wish, I don't even know, I don't even know, like I want to, it's like part of me wants to say I wish we'd gotten Brienne POV chapters earlier because <laughs> in, in my, one of my more, well, my most full recent reread, which was like 20, like mid-2017, um, I was reading uh, uh, Storm of Sword, not Storm of Sword, Shoot, Feast for Crows, Feast for Crows. And I realized that, wow, Feast for Crows is actually, don't hate me, my favorite of the five books now somehow. And uh, the Brienne chapters, like we, like Brienne is, is probably up there with like, maybe Jamie is my favorite POV. So, um, which when the first like maybe 10 times I read these books, I did not feel that way. But like you said, if, especially if you're rereading them a lot, um, as, as you like mature or just, just grow as a person, your opinion of what you enjoy about these books is going to evolve as well. And so, yeah, for me, it was probably like, wow, I wish we had more Brienne.
1: Yeah, no, Brienne is definitely a character that like, that, that, that's definitely like my woo girl, like character, like more than Arya, she's my woo girl. Yeah, like, I, I want to see her do awesome things. And I want her to be beloved for who she is. And I, I really appreciated in the TV show that um, they had Tormund, like, have a little crush on her. And, like, really just appreciate her for who she is. And, like, just adore what she is and who she is. Uh, and also just be kind of cool with it when she wasn't into him. Um, she should have been, I think, much better than <laughs> how Jamie treated her. I mean, yeah, so, yes, like... Her and Jamie were like in the show we're like a perfect couple. But, but the then really but then the down. show decided that no we got to like hit a reset button on that and Jamie's got to go back to Cersei for some reason.
0: There's no such thing as character growth in Game of Thrones the show. Yeah.
1: But yeah. But I appreciate that the show at least treated Bran extremely well because that could have been a very difficult character for them to handle um especially since a lot of their um backstory when it comes to like how they handle the women and like the um things like that um wasn't fantastic um but bran was a character i think they treated very well in the show
0: i think my only issue with her in the show was that in the books she has never killed a person until Mm -hmm. she gets in the fight with um where they're where they're going with like nimble dick like off the Oh gosh! So the, the near, near—it's like on the coast when she's looking for Sansa, and so it's book four before she kills a person, mm-hmm. and 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 like in the show, she's just immediately like just laying people low with her sword, and I'm—I don't like—I'm not like hating on it per se, um, but it just felt like they could have been a little more. Uh, they could have eased us into that a little more, I think, because like, she she was raised fighting with a sword, right? Like she was raised and she, her dad allowed her to train, but she'd never actually like killed anybody because she was still a girl. Like she's still a woman. So yeah, they, they just kind of threw that at us.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think also like, you know, in terms of fantasy series, like having yeah. a character in an environment where like people just murder willy nilly, mm-hmm. who is like, well, maybe no murder is like it's kind of a big deal so like the fact that they were just like and she's ready to murder let's go and i know that's Aria's story arc but like that's not brienne's brienne's is like very different and i think it would have been nice to have that separation yeah all right so
3: let's
2: see where was i
1: uh, how about from the audience? Does anybody want to hop up to one of the microphones and tell us about a favorite scene or a character? Yes, please
0: use the mics. Please, yeah. please, use please. The <laughs> <And> <laughs> With you the masks, like, no one will hear you. Gotta you got to really mm-hmm. into the
3: microphone. Okay, can you hear me?
0: Yes, yes.
3: Okay. So um, I came to Game of Thrones later, the books, The Song of Ice and Fire, because I watched the show first, only because I'm a huge Lord of the Rings Tolkien fan, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, look at Meg Stark. Okay. <laughs> so... Um, I, then I was coming to Dragon Con and I was like, oh, I can't go to these Song of Ice and Fire things because they're talking about it, stuff I have no idea what they're talking about. So I decided to finish watching the show and then start the books Mm -hmm. because I had no other reference point. Now that I've gotten through the books, um, Arya is still one of my favorite characters. Um, I'm also a big fan of Hayao Miyazaki and those movies and I love the way he does his, heroines, the children, are always doing so much and the maturity of people at a young age and to see everything that she's gone through and what her character does at like 10 years old and 11 years old and 12 years old is one of my favorite things. Yeah,
1: yeah no, that, yeah. Arya definitely gets some of the, the, the crowning moments of awesome, especially in the early books.
0: <laughs> she has a very, very Um, like I I haven't really talked much about Arya I like Arya like how can you not like Arya Mm -hmm. honestly but she has a very very dark character arc and I think it's like of course at this point in the books they all still basically have a very dark character arc but Arya's is like the darkest like girl is just Learning how to murder people across the Narrow Sea. Yeah. She,
1: she's the one who shows up to the family reunion with a suitcase full of other people's faces, Probably, so. preferably, preferably <laughs> Frey faces. Honestly, I mean, God, I will. That, that yeah. is
0: one thing. When, whenever in the show they had her just be the one who, and, and, and as much as I hated that they didn't include Lady Stoneheart, Lady Stoneheart when they had Arya just be the one who murdered literally all of the Freys by like baking them pies or whatever. I was like, this is the best. Pie maker Arya Stark, our hero. Frey pie still exists even in the show. See, it's
1: the only time you're ever going to get Arya in the kitchen to bake something. <laughs> All right, yes, sir.
3: Okay, yes. Uh, you b- talked about Sansa's development. Looking at it sort of as a feminine perspective, I just want to say it's a person's perspective overall. One of my favorite TV shows, which was based on the book, is I, Claudius, which is about the... Uh, Emperor Claudius, who lived right after Julius Caesar and the like. And he, like Sansa, is placed in a world that is awful, people backstabbing all the way. And he, who is cunning and pulling himself back, is able to survive, eventually even becoming Emperor of Rome. And he, and Sansa reminds, I love Sansa because she reminds me of him. And so, yeah, I just thought she was cool, not just, I could understand why you, as women, would like him, but I think he's, she's just a great character overall. Mm -hmm.
1: No, she is a great character. Uh, and and when I bring feminism into something, I'm not saying that you know the, the only reading of a character is a feminist reading, yeah. uh, because a feminist reading of a character is like, hey, let's treat her like a real person, and not as like a, a sex reward for the hero. So, yeah, um, I have some opinions about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and also, like, Same. as as much as I talked earlier about Sansa's kindness, like, I just want to reiterate, like, in in the first book, or no, I'm sorry, it's in it's in Clash of Kings, actually, I believe, where uh, Cersei is you know talking about the this like everybody like fearing her and santa says you know when I'm queen I will like make them love me mm-hmm. like she just wants to be loved and accepted and like she she literally her entire life she has been trained to you know be the head of a household at the very least mm-hmm. and then eventually you know she's told she's going to marry Joffrey and she's going to be queen but like her her uh She never goes into that, even when things are bad for her, she never goes into that dark place of like wanting to make people fear her. She wants people to like love and respect her. Like she just wants that sort of validation and it's just. Oh, she's such a kind person. Like, you, like I think the worst thing she does is in like book four or five when she's like, I think she like is kind of a little bit rude to Sweet Robin. But like, honestly, are oh, we all no. wanting? Yeah. Aren't we all wanting to be rude to Sweet Robin? Some of us just get a little fed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all right. Yes. So I was at the panel yesterday.
5: It's all blending together. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel you. And the the hated like the nailed it. oh nailed it yeah, or filled it, yeah. John um, yeah. And I was thinking that, cause we're like, oh he hasn't written the books yet and we're really bad, mad about like how the arcs go for a lot of the different things, especially like the Jamie going back and um, the way that Jon kills Daenerys and how like obsessed he is and like doesn't, like the honor doesn't matter anymore for some reason. Um, but I was just wondering, cause we know that Ger spoke to the directors and the writers and said, This is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So we he knew all they knew all those little things. And I wonder if he waited so long to finish this book because he actually this is actually what he had planned, and he wanted to know what everybody's response was gonna be to it. <laughs> <laughs> and and because everyone hates it, he's now having to figure it all out, be like, okay, everyone hates these things. How can I creatively make this better?
2: <clears throat> so i do have a lot of feelings about that because i think part of the reason everybody hated how things ended in the show is because it became a tell don't show Mm -hmm. it became a oh okay somebody has given me these bullet points of things that need to happen so we're just going to make them happen with no connective tissue and no character development in between to justify these things and i think that was why everybody hated it because the thing for me that really struck was like danny turning evil i always thought that was going to happen but i was like
1: Make
2: it happen gradually.
0: Don't be like, not in 30 minutes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You can't be like, ah, she heard bells and she
2: went insane. Like, like, I mean, mean, who hasn't?
0: Yeah. I mean, okay, fair. Also, like, the the, the brand thing, I think, was the most like, what the moment for me because it's like, again, do I, like, I, I don't disagree that the show did. Martin gave them the broad strokes. He told them the general, like, this is how it's going to end in, like, this way for these characters. So I don't disagree that Bran will very possibly end up, you know, king or whatever in the books. But, uh, literally all he did was like sit in a chair and stare creepily and that was after he wasn't even in an entire season of the show what was it was season five I think he wasn't yeah, like even he there yeah. like he doesn't even go here okay <laughs> um, so for, for Tyrion to be like who has the best story and I'm I, I, right we're all just like ah, come on no <laughs> like even you have a better story Tyrion and I don't even like you <laughs>
4: All right, Matthew. Uh, yes, I was. Uh, you asked about favorite moments, and I was thinking about two of my favorite moments. One is the moment, uh, like I mentioned earlier, where um, Elia talks about um, sort of the futility of war and how this leads to violence. <coughs> One of the other favorite moments that popped to mind is Big Bucket Wall. Big Bucket Wall talking about how he wants to bathe in golden blood, <laughs> and the next book later. And um, you guys already touched on uh, Arya and Sansa and kind of how. These are both very compelling characters. And I think one of the great things about the series is that George kind of will present a side and then present the opposite side, both within the text. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the really great things about the series. So I just think that it's interesting that when you ask your favorite well, moments, two things that's in front of my mind were sort of fundamentally opposite um, opinion pieces <laughs> being presented. And so I didn't know if you guys had any more examples of things where George kind of presents both sides of uh, an argument or a, a belief system.
2: Yeah. I think. Oh man, that's so good. the The contrast between the yes, we should end the cycle of war, and what if I bathed in my enemy's blood <laughs> is just, you know, it's it's very very good. I think you know, to me, I think I like the contrast between a lot of like Sansa and Cersei's, like, yeah, POVs and everything that they do. So like, you know, just like. Cersei's like jaded ruthlessness and Sansa's like determination to stay kind, and it was just, the contrast of all of that was really good because it gives me like Sansa gives me major Cinderella vibes because like you know have courage and be kind, and then Cersei's just there like excuse me no the world hates me so I hate it, and
0: yeah, I agree with both. Well, yeah, I mean Cersei just. Her, uh, she she is literally like like going like like her mind is just devolving throughout the series. Mm-hmm. Like she is becoming so obsessed with, you know, the idea of losing her children and um and with the, of course with the prophecy. Like once you like honestly, it's like you don't like Cersei probably from the beginning. Like as, as I mean as a character, you can like her, but as a person, like she's obviously pretty terrible. But, wow, once you get in her head, it's like this it's this odd tug of war between like I don't like her, and I also like pity her so mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. because she has clearly just been I, she i I mean she's been abused she's like got a most lot of, lot of her complaints. life so <laughs> yeah she she's been abused most of her life, like first by her father, by constantly like just not being a boy and being told like she's basically worthless and and the only thing she is worthy of is like marrying and and like popping out some babies and then you know being literally like physically abused by robert um and then the minute she gets out from under that you know she's just i mean she sees enemies coming from every side and yeah it's it's just that that just de-evolution of 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 a character that is uh it's it's fascinating and like sad to watch she
2: makes me so sad because i in a way i kind of assumed that she started off very sansa like and yep. she could have stayed as kind as of sansa did but she wasn't able to and you know
0: maybe if her mom had lived and yeah. maybe if her dad hadn't been <laughs> uh, yeah, different, different parental figures needed for sure for sure okay.
3: yes sir uh, so I read the books after I was done with the series and like my favorite character in both the books and the series was uh, Littlefinger you know? <laughs>
4: mm-hmm.
3: so uh, and I kind of hated how Andrew? his character arc ended in season 7 so what do you guys think about uh, about his ending in the books and uh, do you think Sansa would, like, remain more loyal to him in the book since he didn't really, like, broker the marriage between... Oh, she better not. So,
1: Peter <laughs> Baelish is one of those characters I love to hate. Again, and I yes. think he's, like, a really well-written character. I think he's a very realistic character. Uh, and he's definitely, like, we've all known that guy, right? Um, but, man, like, like oh, I don't like you very much. But, yeah, like, he's definitely, like, a really good character. I just don't like him as a person
0: yeah I mean he's definitely meeting his end and if Sansa doesn't have a part in the in the books I will be shocked like I I, I imagine that there's just no way she's not going to at least play some small part in his demise and I think it's probably going to be pretty similar to what I mean and and when you say like will Sansa remain loyal to him um I mean here's the thing, like. He he's he's not there's not really any reason for her to be loyal to this man. Like he he only helps her because it's helping himself, right? He's and also his like weird obsession with her because she looks like her mom mm-hmm. is just creepy. And like in the show it's like a little tiny bit more palatable because, you know, Sansa is old is aged up quite a bit, and Sophie Turner herself is an adult um I, I i can't remember when she turned eighteen, but it was like you know in the midst of the show filming mm-hmm. um but in the books, like she is like a what fourteen year old girl yes. i think is, is is how old she is like in book five she is fourteen Close. and this is this is a man who is as old as her mother he is in his thirties like i believe they're they're all supposed to be in their early thirties, and he is like kissing her as if she is an adult and i i you can don't don't give me that but it's medieval and, and, and i don't want to uh-huh. hear it he is her parents age ew mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> he watched her grow up
1: well and yeah. also just Baelish gives off like this really strong incel vibe and that's like a major trend.
0: he also sent yeah. her best friend to be like abused and assaulted and like taught to please men. And the, her best friend was 12 at the time. This Keep is progress. not a good person. Like, Littlefinger, great character. Fun to read. You know, <laughs> I get why people like him, um, mm-hmm. but, like, please remember that this guy does not deserve anybody's loyalty, because ew. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, let's see,
1: I'll take a couple more questions. Yeah, go ahead.
3: Hi, good morning. Santa's also a character I've come around on on subsequent rereads. At the end of Dance, this is the one I have the most trouble predicting what's next for her in terms of what's gonna happen. Um, Curious what you think is gonna be next for Sansa's growth in the short term.
2: See, I'm I'm so interested about this because like her, Story in the show pivoted so drastically from what we had in the books, so mm-hmm. I like I don't even know where she's going to go from here. I am curious to see if she will somehow end up back in Winterfell anyway. Like maybe she'll hear about what's happening to Jane and she'll like go visit, or like Peter will be like, we need to talk to the Boltons and be like, we're extra BFFs, and you're <laughs> coming with me or something like that. I. I can't imagine a story in which she doesn't go back to Winterfell very soon, but also I can't picture how she's getting back there yet. And I, I just, God, I had a really cursed thought.
0: Oh no. No, don't do it. No, I'm not gonna say it. I'm gonna <laughs> keep it to myself because it's cursed and nobody needs to deal with this.
1: Bye. It's only twelve nineteen, and just keep it to yourself for a few more hours. It's mine.
0: Um, I mean, yeah, I, 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 obviously, like. She, first of all, she has the training as like a lady and everything, but also, um, what we're shown in book five is that you know she's also learning how to keep books like keep the books for the home and everything. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and and there's also that, uh, there's a conversation she has with Littlefinger, I believe, that he, you know, where he's talking about Harry, uh, Harding, right? Yeah. Harry Harding, the Air. And, yeah, Harry the Air, and and how he essentially like wants to try to hook her up with him um and she's like you know but i'm but i'm like supposed to be like a bastard like how is that gonna work um so i i mean i think that in the short term uh where it's just gonna mostly be like peter trying to use her to continue to gain his power in the veil um i I, again i i do think that She's going to end up back at Winterfell sooner rather than later. Um, I couldn't, I can't possibly predict how at this point because like Nami said, like the story in the show is just so crazy different. But I don't, I would be shocked if she wasn't back at Winterfell or at least heading back up there by the end of book six when we get it. 85 years from now
1: yeah. <laughs> that is one of the questions on my list over here is when do you think the next book will come ah, out do
0: we I'm even want to talk about worried. that yeah. <laughs> i
2: think since
0: the always, always
2: <laughs> like waited sorry did i almost say wasted don't let me waste 10 know. years <laughs> Since we've all waited patiently for ten years, I feel like it's only right that we may have to wait another ten. That's right. That's my worst-case scenario. If it really does take another ten years to come out, I will cry, and then I will find George Martin, and I will, I will, I will cry. In front of them. Yeah.
1: No, I, I came to terms with it a long time ago that Sam. I was going to learn the ending of the series from the TV show and not from the books Yeah. Uh, just because of the pace that he wrote compared to the pace of the TV show production. Because the TV show was not going to stop production for a couple years just to let him like finish another book. That's not how this works. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> There's a lot of money on the line. They are not going to stop doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. All right, yes? <laughs> I,
4: uh- I, you're probably guessing I started with the books because this is yeah, yes. they're all their the heraldic badge from the Beautiful. amazing. Long, long, long before the television was here. <laughs> um, one of Martin's kind of master tricks is he takes fantasy tropes, turns them all around, and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, wait a minute, I am in the middle of a fantasy trope that I didn't recognize see coming. Um, one of those is the quest. Everybody's got to have a quest, which turns out to be Bran and his merry band of misfits and the Reeds. Mm-hmm. And what, what a cool spin on that is, and, and it's not going to work out in like the show. But the <laughs> second is the redemptive character, which is Jamie. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite scenes is when he comes back for Brian. Mm-hmm. He actually rides yes. away and starts going, oh my god, oh, you know, I'm, suddenly this good streak is, is sneaking into my character. But normally, how you handle the redemptive character is you kill them. They, they redeem themselves in some self-sacrifice and then they're done. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to deal with a guy that's, like, conflicted. So, uh, any discussion of Jamie Conflict, Brian and the trope, trope? I, I love it, the books. honestly.
2: I love it so much so because funny. I... <laughs> <laughs> I noticed something which was a sort of sad pattern in what I saw with characters, which is you get a character who is really, really shitty, and you see him or her start to improve, but then they die before they can finish that improvement. And improvement is a constant journey. You need to be constantly correcting yourself and relearning and unthinking your implicit terrible biases and that is such a journey that you don't see in books because the redemption arc is always like this big self-sacrifice moment but that's not what redemption is to people and i think jamie is such a great character to see that in because you see somebody actively struggling Mm -hmm. with that bs and that like those terrible thoughts in his head that he's trying so hard to overcome and it's so so good which is why the show is just because it takes all that like good 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 redemption and that good character growth and the growth you see visibly on the page of somebody putting the work in and it was just like what about check it out the window
4: worst thing they did
0: (laughs) yeah i mean and and i know you said just the books but like let's be real jamie is absolutely going to die in cersei's arms No, you know i i think he absolutely is unfortunately but i think that there's there's a point a to point b that again the show just was never gonna get and um Like, when we get Jamie, because of course, like, you, you start the books, like, you just hate... Jamie, I mean, he kills Jory for no reason, you know? like He pushes a child out of <laughs> the window. Yeah. And like, ah, yes, what a beautiful man. And that's chapter one. <laughs> uh, right? Like, that's, like, early in the book. Um, but, like, I mean, then you get his POV, and you see, like, how conflicted he is and how he actually is... He, he himself is trying so hard to redeem himself. Like, he jokingly names his horses, uh, what is it, Honor and... Glory is it honor and glory, yeah. He he, he jokingly like names his horses this. Uh, it, it's just he he is he's got this arc that he's working so hard for, you know. But then he's also still like threatening to send babies over the walls of River Run and it be a trebuchet So <laughs> like um he, he's he's still not a great person, but he's a really like. He's he's probably one of the best like most well written characters in the series, and getting his POV when we do is like like Martin just really nailed that on the head. Chefs kiss moments. Yes.
1: Yeah. So I, and I think one of the things that Game of Thrones gets a lot of well, I'm sorry the Song of Ice and Fire gets a lot of credit for is the deconstruction of fantasy tropes. Mm-hmm. I think that's like. I think it, that's one of the reasons why it has this big crossover appeal to yeah. people who are not normally fantasy fans, is it deconstructs those tropes of, of high fantasy. Um, like I know one of a friend of mine that we were talking about these books many, many years ago when they were first coming out. Uh, and she said she knew that this was not going to be like any other series when the prophecy didn't happen, <laughs> because if you're reading a high fantasy story and there is a prophecy, that's the roadmap for the series, and everything in that prophecy is gonna happen somehow. <laughs> and it didn't happen in a Game of Thrones because there's that prophecy about Daenerys's baby going to be the stallion that mounts the world, and then she miscarries. And that is not something that ever happens in a high fantasy story. Like if a prophecy is there, it is gonna happen. Uh and so um, Martin is not the first high fancy author to do a deconstruction of these high fancy tropes, but I think he's the one who really popularized it in pop culture. Uh, and so he gets a lot of the credit for that.
0: And I also think, let's be real, he does it really, really, really yes. well. Like, Martin is a good writer I mean I think that's a big part of why like mm-hmm. as, as frustrating as the wait has gotten why so many of us have just kind of sat back and said okay you know what I'll wait for it because it's, it's, it's gonna be good
2: it's yeah. why I'm here is saying you know another 10 years like I guess I'll do it because like it would be worth it
5: yeah, I'll, I'll
2: make jokes all
1: day about how Robert Jordan Dead turns out books faster than Martin ever does. Um, but the the quality of the writing, like Robert Jordan is like an amazing writer. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, there's a lot of beautiful things about his prose. But Martin is just like a little bit better, like just kind of takes it up a notch in my opinion. And I'm sure a lot of people agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, like Martin's writing is just, it's gorgeous prose. Um, it's layer upon layer of symbolism and historical references. Um, his characterization is super tight and just, like, these characters feel like real people and it's, like, there's a reason why, even though there hasn't been a new book in 10 years and we all know how the story ends because of the TV show, we're still like, so what do you think is going to happen next? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like, we, we really, like, are attached to this for very good reasons. I
0: mean, and, and that's and that's why it's so rereadable. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> like, I, I I do reread books. I reread other books. But I can tell you probably the only book I have read even close to as many times as I've read these is Jurassic Park. <laughs> so
2: Yeah, and, like, you know, this is a different reread, I think, than most of my rereads because the rereads that I do do... Uh, The rereads that I actually reread are my comfort rereads. You know, it's like my favoritest books ever. It's like the book that makes me feel soft and fluffy. I read this book because it, I keep getting more out of it every single time. And the series keeps giving more details to me the more time I put into it. And I love that. And, you know, not many authors can do that. And even if they have complex plots and stuff, it kind of falls apart when you reread because you're not getting more out of the content. And I think Martin is so, so good at like, He's good at writing, guys. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like I'm not so great at plotting, but the actual <laughs> writing is fantastic. Uh, and like, there, there, you know, just just a reason why Martin is such a highly regarded author. Like even before Game of Thrones was published, um, he was an award-winning author. He'd won multiple Hugo's, Nebula Awards, things like that. Um, he, like the guy is extremely well-respected within the science fiction fantasy writers community. Uh, even before he became a best-selling author. Like, he's extremely influential on the genre, um, even without the Game of Thrones series.
0: Thank you for listening to the Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out other Geek Saga entertainment endeavors, including the Sagas and Sass webcast and podcast and Ice and Fire Con.